A lot of life's milestones are often made possible by a retail loan. Buying a house, getting your first car, picking out an engagement ring, all usually require some extra funds. But in the last year, in 2020, big purchases were postponed and celebrations were rescheduled. And as consumer spending changed, so did retail lending. How have retail banks evolved during tumultuous times? This is Financial Futures, a podcast that charts the frontiers of fintech innovation. I'm your host, Erin Dangler. In this season, we're focusing on banks' digital transformation. Digitization is no longer optional for financial institutions. It's necessary. We'll unpack what this trend means for banks, consumers, and communities alike. Today, we're joined by Andrew Beatty, Senior Vice President, Group Executive, Next Generation Banking at FIS, to discuss current trends in retail lending. We'll explore how digitization is affecting loans, consumer trends, and brick-and-mortar banks. As part of the Next Generation Banking Division, Andrew Beatty is at the forefront of our changing financial landscape. And really taking our customers on a journey of modernization and transformation, as well as tackling market problems and and bringing our new customers onto our platform. So that's kind of my role. So I'm the GM function. So I lead the P&L for that business line. Excellent. And so we're we're diving into retail lending today. So I know a lot of our listeners are already financially savvy, but can you just give us the quick Reader's Digest version for any listeners that may not be so financially savvy, just about what is retail lending? Well, retail lending is when you don't have enough money to <laughs> buy what you want to buy at a particular point in time, whether that's a gift or uh, whether you're buying something for your home, a home renovation, or you're buying a house, right? Obviously, we classify that as as retail lending. It's consumer-based lending versus commercial or corporate. And really, it's kind of the fabric of our society that lending is important. It allows people to buy things in advance of having the money or by leveraging and using a whole different series of instruments to be able to support that. So very high level view of it. And and you talk about consumer and small business, you know, versus you're talking the larger corporate wholesale. Yeah, that's always a gray area, right? Small business kind of sometimes falls in some organizations under the retail side of the business for a bank or a financial institution, and sometimes in the commercial side, but it's very different, yet very similar, right? The outcome that someone's looking for to get finance. Let's look at the current lending landscape. The consumer now has lots of options. What are borrowers looking for in a lender? How do they select a lender? That's an interesting question. I think the evolution of lending is now around real-time access, right? If you think about what's happened in the pandemic, and we talk about the pandemic quite frequently now, about how it's put a lens on things very differently, right? If you look at the branches are not available. You couldn't go to a branch. How are you going to get financing for the things that you need to do? Commerce didn't stop. Commerce actually accelerated in some instances. So that aspect of real-time availability of lending products, the variability that we're now seeing in, in the product set and how lending has evolved. So if we think about you know, a traditional loan was you went in, you applied for the loan, you had 60 months to pay it off, you had a fixed payment. Now, 
that usually happened either before you acquired something or as part of it when you're buying a car, as an example, you go through a financing option. But now when you bring that real-time aspect into it, you're borrowing at a point of sale. So think about it, right? You go in and you're buying your Peloton, which is a really good example. And now it's a very expensive acquisition. It's, you know, it's a year's worth of gym membership, if not more, right? And you're now buying them Peloton. How do you finance that? Do you use your credit card where you're going to potentially be paying interest? Or is there another option, which merchants and financial institutions are bringing to bear, which is buy now, pay later as an example, where you can buy the Peloton, pay it over 12 months, pay no interest. But, you know, it's taking a close look at who you are and you as a consumer, giving you permission to buy it that way. And then you get the goods right away. Right. It's not as though you had to go somewhere else to go and get that. And if you see the same effect on things like Amazon, now you'll start to see spread your payments over four months, spread it over six months. So interesting times of the way that lending has evolved. Right. It's no longer a process where you have to go and acquire a loan prior to going out and buying something. So it can be reactionary. You can get the benefit of, of the terms of financing. The interesting thing is it's not brand new. So for those that are older that are listening, they'll know about like the Sears card and you could defer payments for 12 months or 24 months when you bought a washing machine. So it's just evolving that. It's kind of making that kind of a different way of acquiring finance. So some new packaging, pretty much. Yeah, new new packaging. And as I say, the consumer has dramatically changed. And COVID is one example in the pandemic where the lens has been put on kind of different means of getting products and services. But the reality is this has been evolving for some time, right? Where consumers are looking for getting these things in real time, I think is the best way to describe it. Well, that was what was fascinating to me is the real-time aspect of this. We've been talking a lot about real-time payments throughout this last season. And traditionally, I am I am one of these older folks <laughs> that remembers going into a branch and, you know, talking with a branch manager or, you know, and filling out the application and then waiting for your answer. You know, like, oh, are we going to get it? Are we going to get it? And And now it's like you can do it on your mobile phone. And get approved. Yeah, well, we're just now we're not a society that waits. Let's call a spade a spade. We don't wait anymore. Everything needs to be instant. My kids, I'll give you an example. They had, they're not borrowing money yet, but they kind of do from their parents. But the reality is they just expect that if they need something, then they have access to it. And whether that's a subscription to a TV show via Netflix or whether it's, you know, music, and they will evolve. And when you look at the target environment, we talk about millennials and, and Gen Zs, et cetera, the expectations are totally different. There is no, I have a relationship with my branch manager and I need to go make an appointment and I need to go and apply for this loan and then I need to wait for them to make a decision. Everyone expects it now. Businesses have to evolve to them. Right. And it's really become about the customer experience. I mean, that's the tables have turned in a way, would you say? Yeah, absolutely. And yet you're going to see this as a theme throughout, uh, you know, all the conversations you have and just in general in the industry, the consumer is dictating the pace of change, right? They are dictating what they want and expect. Financial institutions, merchants, retailers uh, have to evolve towards that. So certainly customer experience is the front and center. It's all about the customer. At the end of the day, a financial institution makes money and is profitable, hopefully, but the reality is in order to satisfy the consumers that they serve, they need to do things differently and the expectations are very different.
how did the lending process work traditionally? We kind of talked about it, right? We talked about that as, you know, you go into a branch and you apply. There was certainly some evolution that happened in the past decade around centralized hubs for applications, but they still took a long time. It was kind of that shotgun approach where you applied for a loan, whether it was a mortgage or uh, a loan in general, and lenders would have the opportunity to bid on that. But still, the closing of that could take several weeks in some cases, right? Just think about it. Several weeks to get a decision. You're anxious. Uh, and now people want decisions quickly. But that was all kind of revolving around traditional decisioning, risk management around a loan. Did you qualify? Had you had credit before? So kind of traditional scoring models is, is the way I would describe it. And that's really evolved now because in the in the world of real time and the world of a changing demographic and different needs, someone who's applying for a loan today may not have a credit rating that is from a traditional bureau. The bureau is just a means of looking at all the credit that you've had and built up a, a repository of data that allows you to score and, and decision that loan. And now there's a whole realm of possibilities. And if we get when we get to PPP a little later in the conversation, I'm sure decisioning needs to be quick, but it also needs to take into consideration other factors that traditionally weren't in the process for approving someone, right? Your social media profile, some of the data that comes into that. So a differing set of data and attributes to make a decision about a consumer, whether you have a Google uh, like an Android phone or of uh, an iPhone. Some of those things go into kind of scoring you as an individual, right? Data is the new oil. Yeah, and that actually leads us right into our, our next point is we're talking about how digitalized this process has become. And yes, it's about the consumer experience, but that data is gold <laughs> for banks, right? How has this impacted the lending decision on the banking side? Yeah, you know, uh, data is important and, and banks and financial institutions have to look elsewhere for data on the, on the consumers, right? And they're building that repository of information to make smart decisions that protect the consumer, right? Because giving someone too much credit is not a good thing. Let's be cautious around that. But at the same time, also making available to those that can afford access to funding, that others may have been prohibited from before as we kind of look at the the non-banked or underbanked. And some of that is by decision, not necessarily by the fact that they don't have access to these things. They've chosen not to have access. They've just evolved in a different lifestyle. This data is really important. So the gathering of data, but also the permission to use that data is going to be key, right? If we look at some of the regulations out of Europe around GDPR, you see the California Data Act and uh, Privacy Act and others. Like control of that data is going to be key uh, and giving permission for someone to access that data to make a better decision about you as it relates to credit. As one example, it's not just about credit. Right. So it, it protects the consumer, but it also helps the lenders, right? Because if the customer is happy with their experience, I mean, research shows that people go back to the same lender if they've had a good experience and they're more likely to buy other financial products. Absolutely. And we're creating this kind of ecosystem of financial institutions that partner together, right? We're seeing referrals from a, from a traditional kind of transactional bank. We can use an example of Chime, who may not do lending, that then refers you to another 
kind of partner in their ecosystem to be able to drive out that lending instrument. So big banks need to keep up with this stuff, right? And they've had the fortune of having many, many products across their ecosystem. But now there's different products that are emerging through the fintech space that are exciting, interesting, you know, the buy now, pay later concept. It's a whole new array of products that are out there to service customers. And uh, also the other non-bank lenders, big tech, non-traditional banks, fintechs. Yeah. You know, we, we often look at the likes of Amazon and what they do, PayPal and others. They're not financial institutions, right? In the true sense of the word, Amazon probably does more lending than anyone else on the planet. If you look at their portfolio, but it's how they do it, how they're around it, particularly for small businesses, how they're analyzing cash flow, how they can project through data assessments, right? It's just a whole different way of looking at how solid a business is and should they be providing credit to them or any other kind of financial instrument. Are banks looking to those leaders for ideas and piggybacking on them? I think everyone looks at everyone. There's rivalry, right? And rivalry is not necessarily competition. It's you learn from your rivals. And I think banks have taken a step back and looked at what happens in big tech and, and, and fintech in general, and are learning from that and evolving. And that's a good thing for the environment of financial services. You take learnings from other areas, right? We all do as individuals as well. We learn from each other, right? And I think the success that you know the Amazons have had in the world of, of customer experience is just now moving into financial services and accelerating, right? Everyone wants to be like them, but they're also innovating what they do, right? Which is financial services. Let's go back and now um, touch on the PPP loans. How has this affected credit metrics, lending, all of that. I mean, lending has, it's been a weird year. <laughs> yeah. If you just look at that whole program and, and, you know, you feel for the small businesses, you really do globally that have been hit by the pandemic. But the reaction to that really showcased, you know, if you look at small business lending and we touched on it at the start of the interview, that is kind of complex because it's not traditional, right? It's not bureau-based in the true sense of the word that you can get data on an individual or an organization, and it's not as uh, you know sophisticated as commercial lending. It's kind of in the middle. But proving those loans previously was hard, right? It took a while. There was some decisioning. There was manual reviews of files, all those kind of things. And when you look at PPP, which created a standard set of criteria and then apply technology to that, and all of a sudden, within weeks, you had a whole program that was real-time approving almost all the loans that were being processed through it, right? Or approving or declining. In some cases, right. things weren't approved. And banks were going insane. They were like, stop. <laughs> yeah. And, and the demand was great. You know, if you just look at our statistics, just as FIS and our real-time lending platform, I think uh, there was like 250,000 applications through the program over a 12-month period, which is like $20 billion, you know, whatever it is, right? The numbers are quite significant of what's been approved in the program, but all rapidly. Now, one would hope that we continue that trend because small businesses, as they come out of the pandemic, are still going to need financing. They're going to need different support. It may be not a program like PPP. It's going to be more traditional. I need to expand my business. I need to service my cash flow challenges. How can I quickly get access to lending? And I think that's what we're going to see. I think taking those learnings from PPP, which 
you know, is a massive spike in small business lending as a result of the program that was put in place. And globally, similar programs were out there for other regions. We're going to see that trend continue. So I think that's a good thing, a really good thing. Well, and we've seen a greater need for retail lending overall, of course, with COVID-19. Has that been a good thing for lenders? Has there been any ramifications? I, I think that, you know, that there's some challenges. I think, you know, mortgages and auto loans, probably we've seen a decline. We've got to just recognize that in a pandemic, as an example, people are going to look at their finances and say, do I really need to do that? Do I need to go and buy a new car? Should I be moving? Should I buy my vacation home? You know, decisions were, let's just say, pulled back quite a bit. And obviously that impacted some of the lenders. There's large repositories of deposits, deposits on balance sheet, but the lending wasn't as aggressive as a traditional market would see. But at the same time, you know, when we get into that buy now, pay later discussion, people were buying things that they needed because their environment had changed. You know, I use the example of the Peloton or the Nordic track, something that you traditionally may not have thought about, an expensive acquisition, but they couldn't go to the gym. People are concerned about their health in general and their well-being, and they go out and buy that, but now they see a means to buy it differently, right? Kind of more like a subscription model. I'm going to buy it over a period of time versus, you know, outlay all that cash right away. So I think, you know, we saw some significant spikes, just kind of thinking through the stats here of the kind of that 18 to 34 year old grouping where buy now, pay later, you know, in 2020, probably a market of 22 billion. But in 2025, we kind of projected out where that's going, it could be 680 billion in kind of lending going out the door. You're talking about uh, loans in general, going down just because people are thinking about, you know, how much money do I want to take out? But what about refinancing? I mean, that's kind of because of these low mortgage rates. Yeah, no, exactly. I think that's where kind of a lot of attention is being done. It goes back to good financial management. Hey, now is the time for me to take a reflection on where lending is, uh, where my loan portfolio is, my credit card debt, and how do I consolidate using the assets that people have, their homes and refinancing is probably, that's certainly an area of interest over the past 12 months. From a lender's perspective, is it better to do a loan, a traditional loan or a refinance? Are they getting as much data and a financial gain from doing a refinance? Yet again, I'm going to go back to the interest of the client, right? And, and certainly financial institutions are there to make money and they're profit organizations. But at the end of the day, the consumer is what's driving where the market is going to evolve. And the need for refinancing is, is obviously key in some markets. So I think the preference between the two is dictated to by the consumer versus the financial institution. I think everyone wants to gain new product new sales, but at the same time, in the interest of the consumer and the financial well-being of that consumer, it's important that they do the right thing by them. And healthy financial consumers makes just a, an overall healthier landscape. Yeah, it just gives you an ability to bounce back from whatever situation you're in. And, and then the future, you're going to be buying new financial services products as a result of that, right? You're not going to be stalled. Let's look ahead. Post-pandemic, people are getting vaccinated. People are getting back to life, back to travel. How do you see retail lending changing? Well, I think they're going to take the learnings over the past 12 to 
14 months. Hopefully the end is now when, and we can get back to normal life. And I think, you know, the real-time aspects that we talked about, the marketplace aspects of how lending products can be varied and across different financial institutions and how you can pull them in to build your own portfolio products is going to be interesting. I think the evolution of concepts like buy now, pay later, I think just the caution is there'll probably be some controls and regulatory supervision around those things. We're already seeing that out of the UK to bring some discipline to it because at the end of the day, we want to protect the consumer and we want to protect you know the financial well-being of our country and all those kind of good things. But I think the learnings of these things about how we can approve the, uh, loans in real time, how we can from different data, how we can take consideration for the fact that for some people, they've really struggled right in the past 12 months and their financial well-being may have suffered. So how do we accommodate that when we come out of a pandemic? How do we think differently about those individuals? How do we take consideration for the fact that the credit uh, ratings may have dipped, et cetera? So it's going to be interesting times ahead, but I think it all comes back to lenders will be looking at technology and the advancements that they were able to do in a very short period of time, the partnerships that they struck. Certainly, we're taking a very close look at our lending ecosystem and how we evolve that as a fintech. We're striking really strategic partnerships to kind of make sure we're prepared going forward. I, I don't mean for another pandemic, but just the evolution and revolution that we'll see in, in the market. And the needs of our, uh, ultimately the end consumer, as I say, they're going to dictate the pace of where we go next, always. Yes. And, and you've mentioned this change in technology and staying ahead of the technological curve. I mean, mobile banking is up 200%. I mean, do you see people returning to brick and mortar branches? They may do through nostalgia. It's a bit like an LP, right? <laughs> so I, I think we, we will see a return to some of these things, but maybe in a different form. You know, it's like working from home, but, but probably I think everyone's anxious to get back into an office, but now you'll have a hybrid model where you're working from home and you're working in the office part-time. I think the same for how we consume things will be the learnings and how we've come accustomed to it. And I always reflect on this, and I talk to my kids about this, is the reality is of what we've experienced has become our new norm. Now you've got to pivot back to something else, and do you want to do that? Is there a need to do it? Can you get these services in a different way? You know, we look at industries in general, like movies and everything. We're, we're going to have to take a seat back and figure this out. Is that, do I do that again? Or do I take the path that I've just taken here, which is easier, faster, more efficient, less friction? It was a good experience, even though it was during something as devastating as a pandemic. So it's interesting times ahead to see how consumers either go back to what they did before and demand that to be available to them? Or, you know, is a consumer going to sit there and say, hey, I'll go to the branch, I'll apply for a loan, and I'll wait two weeks for it to be done? I don't think so. I don't think so. No, I think we're all kind of changed forever in many ways, not just financially. Definitely going to take some re-entry. Uh, but you've already touched on some of the, I mean, it's uncertain times. We're tired of using the phrase unprecedented. Uh, and you've already touched on some of the bright spots. But what are some other silver linings that you think that have happened? From a human perspective, I think we've all rallied around the problem. I think financial services, as an example, which we're obviously talking about, I think rallied around the problem and solved it. 
what we saw with PPP as an example, right, is a really good story to look back on and say, hey, you know, vaccines is one thing, but you know, the financial well-being of small businesses in this case was really, really important to take care of. You know, we needed to protect the high street, as we kind of call it, uh, and protect these small businesses that invested their life savings to build something. And I think generally society did an awesome job around that. I think the silver lining we talked about is that we'll take learnings from this and apply it going forward and we'll evolve the things we talked about around technology, consumer experience, all the things that ultimately were byproducts of something that is a disaster, right, in the sense of a pandemic. So all good, I think. Certainly, technology is going to be the forefront of that. And obviously, that's near and dear to our heart. But the reality is technology needs to evolve faster. We saw that, right? We need to we need to do more. And now is not the time to sit back on your laurels and kind of, hey, I'll wait to do that transformation and move to a more digital presence. Digital really shone, right? You know, the mobile, just different ways of interacting with a financial institution were necessary. It actually was a huge stress reduction in a majorly stressful time for so many people, you know, is is being able to have access to your funds right from home, being able to get things in real time. You know, it was house saving or life saving for some people. And now maybe it's we can all we can just not spend as much time on our banking and live our lives a little more fully. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I think that the banking side of it in general, we make it kind of the f- fabric of our life. It's, you know, we're making that less at the forefront and more just how we operate. And that's a good thing, right? And I think all the services that we bring are going to be key to making that real going forward. Yep, that makes Perfect sense. So as we um, wrap up our conversation for people out there listening who might be retail lenders or work for financial institutions, what advice would you give them to help support changing customer needs in these evolving times? Well, certainly we talked about technology and as I say, near, near and dear to our heart, but the reality is evolving your technology, looking for good, strong partners that can deliver change, because I think that's what we're delivering. And then really focusing on the market and the market segments and the customer experiences that are expected from those groupings. Generally, customer experiences evolving. I'll give you an example. My mom, she's in her 80s. She lives in the UK. If she didn't have online banking and all these things, she would be lost, right? She couldn't get out of the house. So just think of those things as being just, as I say, the fabric of our society now that access to these things in real time and available for everyone is is going to be key. Well, Andrew Beatty, thanks for joining us. That was a very interesting conversation. And now I think I want to go buy a Peloton. So- <laughs> That's right. I, I get no uh, benefit from saying Peloton. Andrew Beatty is Senior Vice President, Group Executive, Next Generation Banking at FIS. That's it for today's episode. Join us next time where we'll dive deep into digital with Nick Woodcock, Senior Vice President, Group Executive, Digital Banking at FIS. See you then.